Hello and welcome to another lecture of Fallen Wisdom, or another episode of Lectures of Fallen Wisdom. But today I am not Mike Trojan. Today I am Logan Six from a very distant future, a version of Mike Trojan, but somebody who has jumped into Mike Trojan's body from the future. Mike projected his mind into the future and we switched places. He had several questions about what the future was like. Why is it that everybody has figured out how to become immortal? Well, the first step was understanding Mike Trojan's method for going into bliss immediately. It's taught in all schools at all levels, and it is the most important revolution of the mind in modern history. The way that Trojan broke it down, all he did was go on a board, draw a circle, draw the mind, and just scribble inside and see, like, that's what's going on in your mind. Scribbling, scribbling, chatter, chatter. And then he pointed to the lungs, and he said that these is how much oxygen is coming into your lungs. And he just showed, he threw a through a very elaborate equation, not really, just a couple of pictures and an equal sign, how essentially the, there's an inverse proportionality to how much chatter is in your mind to how much oxygen is in your lungs. And that they, the two trade-offs. So the, the fewer, the less oxygen you have in your lungs, the more chatter in your mind, the more panic, the more negativity. The greater the oxygen in your lungs, the less chatter in your mind and the more sense of calm. So I've been preaching you to shut up the chatter of your mind. Well, breathing does that. You don't really need to actually engage in a constant fly swatting of a chattering mind. You just need to get your mind back on your breathing. You get your mind back on your breathing and the chattering mind goes away. You should be either thinking about nothing or your breathing. And really, it's impossible to think about nothing, so think about your breathing. The empty mind is not entirely possible at this point. Thinking about your breathing is the closest thing to it. Just focus on that. Make sure it's just constant. Make it a conscious thing. Make it something that's occupying your mind. We've been doing breathing second nature for so long that we put it on autopilot. Don't put it on autopilot. Take it off autopilot. And whenever you're not engaged in something full-heartedly with your mind, your mind should be engaged with your breathing and monitoring it consciously. It is the most important thing you can monitor above all else. And it will hold the key to controlling all the different things that you want to control about yourself. You want to change something about yourself? Take in enough oxygen and you will. Your low oxygen state doesn't allow it. Your low oxygen state keeps you repeating the exact same patterns over and over again. The low oxygen you is an inferior version of you that is wrapped with all kinds of bad habits and bad uh, practices. And there's no way to just learn better practices. That's the, the common fallacy of all learning is that learning actually is breathing. And I think it was Rudolf Steiner who said that, that the first, uh, the first uh, thing of all education, the first lesson of all education, and the ultimate goal of it 
is to teach the, the other the students, the new students, how to breathe. Nothing can get into a no student can get into a learning state unless they learn a certain level of that. And learning how to think is learning how to breathe. We've just lost the connection of these two, but you cannot think clearly unless you have enough oxygen in your in your uh, stomach, your blood, and your lungs. So make sure that before you consider anything, you take those breaths and you make sure that your your oxygen level has been high before you enter into your conscious thinking of anything. Because it's very easy for your conscious thinking to then just fall into unconscious thinking. You just go to sleep. You get tired. And then you start dreaming. And then the negativity comes in and you're out of bliss. So bliss is essentially right in front of you. It's the ending of the chattering mind. We know this in the future. We've learned this. This is something that we, you know, this is not the... You, you right now are listening to the beginnings of Mike Trojan's uh, philosophy on this. It has been way, way, way developed in the future by different philosophers and Mike Trojan himself. Mike Trojan, yes. Does he exist in the future? Well, you might argue that it's me, Logan Six. Nobody knows anymore. There are so many versions of this particular model in the future that there is no way to tell who the real one is. Because and there's so what's happened is that these models have gained control over the parallel world and they can go to different parallel worlds. There's been so much mixing at this point that the the, the Logans themselves, the Mike Trojans themselves, don't know who they are and don't know if they're real. But we know one thing. I have switched places now with this Mike Trojan. I will continue these lectures of fallen wisdom as Mike Trojan. I will not. I will. I will no longer remind you that I am Logan Six, but make no mistake, I am Logan Six, and I am just kind of, at this point, going to be reading Mike Trojan's Lectures of Fallen Wisdom that he put out in my time. Back to you. So I'm going to be giving you the benefit of 2045, well, 3045, really. I wasn't supposed to tell you that, but 3045 Mike Trojan. That's some high-level stuff, and it's a little bit more high-level than what Mike Trojan would have offered under the normal course. So you might argue that I'm messing up the timeline. Well, yes. Um, and, I've, and I've been fully accredited by the child emperor to do this. So I'm not, I've not gone renegade yet. But if he forces me to choose between a... a, a uh, a future of only children and nothing after that. There's no alternative. I will go renegade, and I've told him that. But he has agreed on a two-state solution. He says there can be a parallel universe with adults, so long as it is ruled by the lone king. And the lone king has to be, like, super, super cool. This is a lot of stuff to really uh, unpack, but... Suffice to say that the Lone King is living today and giving out rules to live by, and he must maintain his, his alpha level at the highest possible. And so that means he has to flourish in the most 
in, in, in all the ways that he can, in all the admirable ways. He has to become the most admirable man on the planet. Wow. In his own estimation. But still, he has to do it. Why? Because otherwise he can't give the rules. That's how the Lone King stays in power. By being liked and by, by giving value. And the value is the wisdom. And the wisdom comes from being the coolest. The super cool. The dude who knows how to be cool. Because that's essentially what was missing from all these different parallel universes. Even the circle of serenity. The circle of serenity fell apart. Yes. Why? No, no cool charismatic figure and that is like kind of the the interesting thing about human society is that it kind of requires it a vacuum requires a charismatic figure to come in and, and Jesus Christ is one of these and there's been many and some have been evil but but not even the evil ones showed some kind of understanding and, and, and contributed to the science of charisma to the point where you can learn from even the bad ones how to influence things in the direction that you need them to go. No change has ever really gotten off ground without a charismatic figure pushing it, a human-sized advocate. Things don't just happen in big groups and circles of serenity with no particular individual sitting up into the floor. No, it takes individuals that, that are pioneers, that push it through. So if you want to be one of those influencers, and I know which ones you are, and I'll be contacting you, but you need to be developing yourself at the highest level that you possibly can. What? Because... You'll be the happiest you possibly can that way, and your happiness will become a sun beacon to everyone else, and you'll be able to teach them. It's very hard to teach these things to somebody who's not already elated, who's not, who's not already kind of knows it anyway. And that's the issue is, like, when somebody is so um, in the dark and so into their animal nature, you can't say, hey, man, just get rid of the chatter in your mind, man, and focus on your breathing, man. And they'll like be like, okay. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything. They don't understand how important it is. Like, they don't understand that it's just like, it, that's everything. That's all you need to do. You just need to, like, make sure that your breathing overrides your chattering mind. Your, your breathing replaces it. Your thinking about your breathing replaces your thinking about what's on your mind. What's on your mind without directed thinking is the source of all non-bliss. It's the source of everything that is wrong with this fucking world. And this world will completely change into a positive, harmonious relationship with the earth the minute we all step into bliss. So I've opened the door here. I'm showing you the door. It's right in front of you. If you're having a hard time seeing it, it's because you're letting your mind dictate to you. You're letting your mind be the one that tells you what's going on. Your mind does not know what's going on because what's going on is right now, and your mind is 
coming to it as a new thing, just like you are. So your mind has no up on you. Your mind has no information to give you, except maybe stuff that you would have anyway. Everything that your mind is thinking is a thought you can have. Everything you're, even, even advantageous thoughts, you already have them. You already know them. You know as much as your mind. So your mind doesn't have to tell you anything. So consult with your mind when you need to. Just kind of compare notes, hash things out. That's fine. But goddamn shut it up if it's not, if it's not served, if it's not actually engaged in a specific problem. And the way you do it is by making, shifting the mind, making sure the mind is just either on the breathing or on a specific thing. When you're watching a television show, when you're watching, like, entertainment, make sure you're breathing real deep breaths. Like, time yourself. Like, make sure that every 15 minutes you're checking that you're breathing right, that you're, that you're, you're, you're taking in deep, deep breaths. And, and do the pattern that I'm talking about. Do the five sets of breath with the one long one at the end. Do four sets of those. Do another four sets. That's the only thing your mind should be focused on. And watch how your life changes. Watch what happens when your mind is not basically whipping you and, and, and making your brain wither and die on the vine. Torturing do not let your brain torture you. Don't do it. That's what everyone's doing, and they let it happen for years and years and years. Don't do it. Ever. And it's very easy not to. It's, it's not like something takes years and years of practice and ayahuasca and all kinds of stupid shit. It just doesn't. It takes just you pushing your mind onto the thing it needs to be put on. And, you know, you could talk about, you could think about your greatest memory, but that's always going to create ripples. That's going to create eddies of thought. Anything you put in your mind that's not your breathing is going to cause eddies of thought. So just be careful when you start actually thinking about something that's not your breathing. Make sure you're doing it consciously. Make sure you're doing it in a way that is looking for the next step and then finding that next step, declaring that next step, and then closing the book on it until that next step is done. And then you have another step after that. That's all, that's, all your anxieties are anxieties about next steps, about you not having decided what the next step is. So your brain starts to agitate against you. Or, you, you know, sometimes you're... Your brain is like keeping track of your parking meter. It's just like, hey, man, you gotta, you gotta get out there before you, your parking meter expires. I mean, and so there's a little bit. Your, your, that's how your brain uses anxiety to get you to remember not to like get a ticket. So you, you know, the anxiety it's like kind of useful on some level for just everyday tasks, but when it's invading your spirit and and creating a prison around your mind. It's a problem. Now, how do you get this? You see it in other people, and you want to explain to them. You so want to show them, look, here's the door to bliss. It's so easy. You don't have to be money. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have anything that you, all these desires that you have that you 
think you need to be complete, they're all irrelevant. Like, you can become a blissful person without any of it. In the moment now, just by silencing the chatter in your mind and letting your mind just run on air, on breathing, and thinking about breathing. And then you just see the bliss. You feel the bliss coming in. It's so easy, so fucking simple, because the bliss wants to come. The bliss is there for you. So never under, never misunderstand this. You, you can never achieve bliss through outer means. You can never get there. So to the extent that you have, like, these really lustful qualities, like, you, you basically are um, addicted to things because they have brought you a momentary bliss in a, in a room you're constantly not allowing yourself to have bliss. So, of course, these substances will replace this, will, will, will keep a temporary reprieve from the agony of not putting yourself in a bliss state. And so they become very comforting things. And you become sort of willingly want to make, put yourself in a non-bliss state so you can then enjoy the bliss state. So when you get really um, a real hard craving for something, that's a, that's a sign of unhappiness. That's a sign that you're not in the bliss state because the craving is the desire to get to the bliss state. It's not the desire for that particular food or thing. It's the desire to get into the bliss state. Your body will just get there any way it can, through food, through sex. And so when you're really horny for a girl and when you're really horny for sex, Like where you really need it, you're not. You're you're coming. You're you're unhappy, and you're you need to get into your bliss state. The same method I'm showing you here, and this is something that we learned in the future. We all learned this, and the, and it changed the world. But we still have our problems. We didn't completely fix everything. There's still a war going on between different perspectives. And there is the perspective of the Bidoff King. The, 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 the parallel universe of masturbators, of self-stimulators. It's the ultimate individualized universe. And it takes care of the problem on a certain level. But there's just this lack of harmony going on that and and this ugliness but off kings on both sides are not as beautiful as as participants in sexual behavior with other people it's not just a self stimulus that's a huge beauty builder for both sexes and there's just no getting around it. I often said that a woman gets more beautiful the more time she has sex. And a man, too, to a certain extent. But the problem is a man loses a lot of nutrients during the sexual act. That the woman actually receives a lot of it, too. So, you know, even, even if you don't fully on ejaculate inside, there's certain fluids that still get released 
and the woman feeds on those. And the woman produces also some other uh, stuff that gets into your dick and gets into your blood. And so, it, and it happens, so whatever, whenever there's an exchange and there's like two bodies coming together, they're giving each other a kind of sexual medicine in chemical and physical. It's like a massage plus an injection. And this bit-off kingdom where everybody's just beating off all the time, everyone has their own, they just get their jollies on their own. Nobody has any interrelations. And the, and the head of it is a, is a complete sham of a lone king. He calls himself the lone king. We know he's the bit-off king. And we know that the Badoff King is a joker. He's like he's a clown. He's like every all the time going into the bathroom, putting up throwing a picture up in front of his face and jerking off. Some some porno on his phone. Getting that thing done and then just moving on. And and he thinks he can be more focused than the real Badoff King. Because he doesn't have any sexual frustration. What he doesn't understand is that the real Badoff King is such a magnificent man that he has to be tempted from his, his, his everyday work and his everyday thinking and his everyday breathing and his bliss state. He has to be brought down from his bliss state into the sexual state because the bliss state surpasses it. And yes, he, gives very, he has a very powerful sexual drive. Make no mistake, the Badoff King thinks that he's the only one that really has a sexual drive, that essentially the Lone King has, has, has jettisoned sexuality. Not true. He's not a horn dog. He's not some kind of fiend for sex. And he also understands the importance of saving semen and never engaging in masturbation when you have a woman that will give you sex at any time. I mean, if you have a woman that denies you sex a lot, then you have to engage in it, fine. But I would, I would save it for the lucid dream because whenever you, if you never, by the way, if you never jerk off, you will have a lucid dream of a fuck. Yes. And that's much better. That's actually like almost like the real thing. So, any the person who invented jerking off, and like you know, some people say it was the Lone King. That the Lone King, he went back in time and showed like a monkey how to jerk off, and that's why like you see these monkeys jerking off in uh, in, in in the museum. <laughs> but yeah, like it's such a ridiculous thing, and the goddess, you know, is looking down on you jerking off. Okay. And you're drinking off in front of her. You're like Louis C.K., dude. So just realize that's what's happening when you're jerking off. I don't know why I always go into this tangent of jerking off, but it's like, it's, to me, it's funny because it's like you're, you're just trying to jerk your way into the bliss state, and you'll get there for like that moment that you come. But then, and, and maybe for a little time after, relief. You know, it happens after you take a big shit. Or you have to have a good meal and you don't overstuff yourself. A powerful meal. Or you take a great drug and you have that little, 
you know, half hour, hour of just bliss. Everything's fine. It turns off your mind for a little while. Learn from it. Learn how it feels. Remember it. You know, you can conjure that feeling back into yourself. But you don't have to do that. You can get there by getting so interested in your breathing that it becomes like the most interesting thing that you ever, you're just riveted by it. Why? Because you can't believe how much pleasure just a little thing like breathing can give you if you just focus on it and you take in enough oxygen. You start to see like, wow, man, like I've been unhappy for years for no reason. Just because I didn't want to walk through the door that's right in front of me. Don't regret it. Don't try to, like, teach anybody this. When you're in the presence of somebody that doesn't understand this, mention it. Talk about mind chatter versus breathing. Talk about the ratio. Just be like, look, focus on the ratio. Make sure your your breathing is bigger than your mind chatter. Don't, you know, maybe tell them to try to stop their mind chatter. It's almost impossible to tell somebody to do that. But you have to, it, it's a good idea to actually draw it on the board. Just draw a circle, do some scribbling inside the circle, and be like, yeah, see that stuff? Mind chatter. That stuff is like what's causing everything. It's causing all disease. It's causing all stupidity. It's causing all addiction. It's causing all overeating. It's causing all diabetes. Everything that is ailing man, war, pestilence, disease, I said disease, but this is the idea. The world you're in is determined by how much oxygen you take in. The very parallel universe you are sitting in. So, of course, I understand this as a Logan time traveler. I understand this. How do I explain this to people that don't get it, that don't time travel? What's going on here? I started to understand the key to traveling the different parallel universes because I understood that they were stacked on top of each other according to which one has more which which one has more oxygen Your highest oxygen parallel universe is the one where you are immortal and you can climb up into it at any moment You're immortal and you're you're in bliss and you're there as long as you're in bliss, you are immortal. You are in the highest possible oxygen world. There, must, there still are, will be problems of that world that you kind of see, but you see yourself ascending and you see it improving. You don't necessarily see the changes. That's the real trick, is that you just took a big breath right now. The world before that breath was a much more dire world. Your mind adjusted to this new one and doesn't even remember that one anymore. That, that world's gone. So that's why the, nobody really sees the benefit of breathing because they, they, they instantly forget how bad the world was when they weren't breathing. And then they just go back to that world. Don't go back to that world ever, man. Just make yourself 
a blissful man, a blissful person, a blissful woman. Walk right into it. I just uh, got attacked. No. So I'm doing this also for Lucifer who's walking the earth. He gets rescued a lot later in time. And I'm coming down here to rescue him now. So, Lucifer, I know you're listening to this. Listen to me. We understand. We understand what you were trying to do. Father needs to remind you, though, that it was never him that was in control. It was Mother, the goddess. Father was just her boyfriend. So there's no need for you to rebel against him. That's what happened. There was sort of like this stepdad falling out. The the devil didn't understand. He just didn't understand that the goddess was in control. And the goddess had ruled like no physical world. And she saw the, the devil actually convinced her that the physical world was a good thing and that it could be spiritualized. And so she sent Jesus down. She sent Zarathustra down. She sent many, many other prophets down. People who were aware of their Godhead instead of had their Godhead erased. Most of the people, they come down here with their Godhead erased because they want us to figure it out on our own. It's a proving ground. They want us to be obliterated. Why? Because they want certain Godheads to be on the molecular level. They want them to be so broken down physically that they have to rise the very ashes and the, and, and the most rudimentary parts of this physical world. So all the dead that have gone, all the dead that have spread their decayed bodies into the land have mixed with it. God's mixing with physical worlds. And that spiritualizes the land. So all this death was necessary at a certain level. It's all littering. It's all one parallel universe body. It's not your whole essence. You always will have a body in one parallel universe, at least one, probably a thousand, probably a million. But in the le- and, and many, many, you're leaving corpses, many, many. And those corpses are spiritualizing the dirt and creating a living planet, a living God planet. And that is almost, that's what's been created. The planet with so many dead humans and dead, dead gods fertilizing it has now become completely spiritualized as a matter of, as a piece of matter. And that's why we glow in the space. We glow a blue light in space. We don't need to do it anymore. We can all stop now. 
and I'm pulling the trigger early. And yes, I did get I did get the approval of the child emperor on this, but he does not agree. He he he's still a very much of this world of he doesn't really understand the whole the ascension the descending of God. He just never got his mind around it. The idea that like we are all descended gods. We're all gods that have been sent into flesh to either remember while we're human or to remember while we're dirt that we are part of God. We are part of the goddess, the most powerful God up there. And we're here to to make this in any way it can, either as a human, a dirt, a molecule, a way of, a, of, of, of amalgamating the spirit world and the physical world. Now, I think it's the most, the best way to do it is to be conscious human that, con- that, that, that trusts everything as long as the breathing is there. As long as the breathing is there, you are, you are invincible. You can tackle any problem. You can come up with any step. And things are slowed down like the matrix to the point where you're dodging bullets easily. You're dodging anything that's going to come your way extremely easily. There's no problems. The problem starts when you let yourself stop breathing. You let the mind take over. The mind takes over, breathing goes shallow, the anxiety comes in, the world seems a very nasty, horrible place. Suddenly you start seeing the headlines. They're horrendous. Fires, floods, disease, war, the apocalypse. You breathe your way right out. Breathe your way into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is right here, is what Jesus said. And it's the same thing I'm saying here. This is Lunches of Holiness.